0: This episode of The Protocol is sponsored by the Stellar Community Fund.
1: I would say that right now Ethereum is more risk-averse when it comes to shipping new things because mainly they want to keep the chain up the whole time, which I get it. Of course, that comes at the price of slower, slower building, less changes on the protocol level, which I think are important for the mass adoption of the blockchains. On the other hand, Solana is now tackling the security side of the things. And it feels like Android and iPhone 10 years ago. Now there's almost no difference between uh, the two softwares.
2: Dive deep into the blockchain realm with the Protocol podcast. With Coindesk founding editor of the Protocol newsletter, Brad Kown, and tech journalists, Sam Kessler and Margot Nykirk. They unravel the intricate technologies powering cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum, one block at a time. Just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello and welcome to the Protocol Podcast. I'm Brad Cowan here with my co-host Margot Nykirk. Sam Kessler is uh, on his way out, uh, I think, to meet Danny Nelson at the Solana Hacker House, like as we speak (laughs) in Utah. Anyway, we do have... A guest co-host today, Neboisha Roshevich, who is the senior vice president for engineering at Tenderly, which is essentially a full stack infrastructure platform. Are they kind of like Alchemy, Neboisha, or not really? Similar with some additional
1: dev tooling stuff and some other infrastructure components that Alchemy doesn't have.
2: Got it. Well, we're super happy. Uh, We're going to talk, have a cool conversation about Ethereum. Uh, They had their Denkun upgrade on the uh, Haleski testnet this morning. So we're going to key off of that, which Margot covered. And we're going to dive right into some uh, news stories first and talk about those. And then we'll come back and uh, interview Neboisha at the end in our second uh, Protocol Village segment. All right. With that, let's dive right in. First, please don't forget to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Protocol, on Coindesk.com. Margo, you probably rolling your eyes every time I say that. but uh, Oh, <laughs> we
0: need subscribers. We need subscribers. We, we thank you to the subscribers already who follow us, but you know, the more the merrier.
2: Yes, it is. The more the merrier. It's pretty good. I mean, we work pretty hard on it. Uh, but anyway, all right. First story. Solana, back up following major five-hour outage. I wrote about this for the Protocol newsletter. Speaking of which, uh, today it was pretty interesting. I don't know, Margo, did you have any quick thoughts on this one?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess Solana is on a a yearly basis to have an outage, right? It was like coming up on its year anniversary of running smoothly, and it just didn't make it. I think it was like February twenty fifth, right? So three weeks. But ever since like twenty twenty one, I believe there's been an outage. So I guess. It's done for 2024, right? Like maybe the next one is 2025. Uh, Yet yeah, anyway, it was interesting cuz it was offline for 5 hours and I think just given the uh, al- there's been a lot of news around Solana, right? It sort of had like a revamp after its sort of downfall following the SBF FTX fallout. It's been one of the more buzzing and growing communities with developers. So, I don't know, there was some pretty big news about it, but what do you guys think? Never wish
2: you have any thoughts on this one.
1: Well, uh, Solana tends to push things to the extreme uh, when it comes to the number of transactions. I like that they are experimenting, but with that comes the the price of outage from here and there.
2: Mm-hmm. I think part of it is that people were really looking forward to this one-year anniversary. <laughs> and, I mean, I even read about it in Coinbase Institutionals report was just on Friday. They were talking about how this thing was coming up. And so all eyes were on them. And it was just, you know, it's like they were running the marathon and they tripped right as they were getting up there. So I think it's especially embarrassing for them.
0: Uh, Yeah. Well, also, you know, I want to highlight also Dan Coons had wrote a really great piece um, about Solana. And the title of it was, Can We Stop pretending like it's still in beta, right? Because the like the name of the chain is actually like mainnet beta. At this point, like it's the f- fifth largest TVL. Like I said there's a whole bunch of like buzzing developments happening on it. There was a store that opened up in New York City. I mean like, you know, it's like one of the biggest change and so referring to it as beta seems kind of like obscure at this point. Yeah. I guess, like I said, I guess we're going to have to wait till 2025 to see if there's another outage at this point. Oh, sorry. The second thing I wanted to say, I blank for a second, but, you know, to Neboisha's point, I think the Solana Ethereum competition is is heating up again. And I saw a tweet or a post on X at this point that, that showed that, you know, Ethereum's tackling fees, which I guess we'll get into later, right? When we talk about proto-dank sharding. And Solana is tackling like security and outages like this. Definitely. So this just goes yeah. to show like these narratives that these chains are built on, right? Solana was supposed to be the cheaper chain compared to Ethereum. They're both still dealing with these problems that won't be resolved immediately, and we're going to get more hiccups in the future. So I yeah. mean,
2: I also really like Dan Kuhn's piece, which by the way, the Dan Coon upgrade is not named the Dan Coon. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, this idea of beta, I mean, in some ways, this shows that it is actually in beta. I mean, and to your point, you know, all these things are in beta. To almost it's like the, they're the one, you know, another take on that would be that Solana is the only one that's being honest that, yeah, this stuff's all in beta. I don't know. What do you think about that, Nibuisha? Um, So that's an interesting thing. I would say that right
1: now, Ethereum is more risk averse when it comes to shipping new things. Because mainly they want to keep the chain up the whole time, uh, which I get it. Of course, that comes at the price of slower, slower building, uh, slower, less changes on the protocol level, which I think are important for the mass adoption of the blockchains. On the other hand, uh, as Margaret mentioned, uh, Solana is now tackling the security side of the things, and it feels like Android and iPhone 10 years ago, when we're now we're there's almost no difference between uh, the two softwares.
0: That's fascinating. I love that comparison. And I I agree. I I hear what you're saying that this is all sort of in beta, but Solana has a big enough presence to sort of, in my opinion, not call itself beta anymore. I mean, Polygon ZKEVM is still technically mainnet beta, right? Like that's the name of that. And and ZKEVMs are more susceptible to be calling beta because it's such a new technology, right? Mm -hmm. But I guess that's all up for debate.
2: All right. Well, that is a uh, pretty. It's a serious story, but it is also uh, somewhat entertaining. But all right, let's move on to our next one here. Eigenlayer, insane. You know, Sam Kessler is not here today. Uh, he wrote this story on Monday night when they lifted the cap. Uh, you know, Eigenlayer, the big uh, restaking protocol, and you know, people knew it was going to be a big deal, but all of a sudden, it seems like it's a huge deal. They lifted their cap. All of a sudden, money, you know, when he wrote this story, it soared from like $2 billion to $3 billion, and now there's like $4 billion of TVL in this thing. I don't know, Margo, what do you think about this?
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe we should back it up a little bit for the listeners that are not entirely sure or yeah. don't completely understand restaking, <laughs> but basically yeah. it's this new way to earn rewards, to earn yield by taking your staked ETH or your liquid staking tokens and locking that into Eigenlayer and in some way getting some kind of reward by securing other protocols and other dApps, or as they call them, AVSs, actively validated services. What's, I don't remember what they, not autonomous, yeah. Validated, yeah, actively no, that's validated right. services yeah. that are built on eigenlayer and ordering some kind of reward for that. And so this has sort of emerged as this new ecosystem in Ethereum, and maybe it's an entirely new separate ecosystem from Ethereum, even though it sort of uses the Ethereum as the base. But like you said, it's it's, you know, this cap was lifted. Originally there was a cap put on Eigenlayer so that there would be like a more they claimed it was like a way to decentralize the protocol and make sure that these staked tokens had a bit more of equal share, if I'm correct. And now they lifted the cap like they've done previously because of what they claimed as like a surged you know, increased interest or increased demand, I think was the word they used. I don't remember it verbatim, but something like that. This has sort of, I think, awoken us to a whole new ecosystem of what does it mean to restake? What are the risks? Like, what are the rewards? Like, is this really something that is necessary in, our, in this industry? Or is this just another way to earn higher yields? Vitalik, the co-founder of Ethereum, has written about it and has stated sort of his, I guess, concerns with, with restaking. Like, like I've said, I don't think this is the last time we're going to be talking about Eigenlayer. But anyway, Naboisha, what do you have to say? I think you have probably some more insights into this since you're you know, an Ethereum expert.
1: Something that's really interesting to me is that whenever certain protocol changes or upgrades occur, in this case, it was the merge and the following upgrade that allowed for the withdrawals. These changes are the things that uh, uh, basically allowed restaking. Mm-hmm. So for me, what is very interesting is that when these upgrades to the protocol level occur, there are so much potential in the all uh, consequential uh, pieces of the blockchain. Mm. Uh, After the protocol, we have the infrastructure. And then after that, there are developers who are building uh, on top of these protocols and leveraging the infrastructure. And then in the end, we all give it out to the users uh, to test out and to see if there is a product market fit there or no. But yeah, the interesting thing is that uh, these changes allow for so much to happen in the blockchain space.
0: I wonder if you can sort of explain, because, you know, the, the positives of this basically sound like it's like the rewards, right? It's the yield. It's the extra year earning yields. But maybe for our listeners who might not know, maybe you can explain sort of what it is that are the risks associated with this. I'm thinking more particularly like the, the security risk, if there are any, in your opinion. So I'm not
1: an expert. On the financial things, sure. I, I, I usually just look at the code. The code seems to be there, but again, to me, it's either a, a road to something that occurred in two thousand and eight in the housing market <laughs> or something much bigger and uh, uh, much better than that. I'm not financial, yeah, expert.
2: I'm curious, you know, I mean, Nebulisha, what about you know from you know a tenderly are there pro- some of these AVSs are they coming to you as clients for development work? what are you seeing in your business so what we are mostly
1: who are mostly our users and who are we catering are usually the developers who are building applications on Ethereum or some other layer two network uh, so we help them uh, enable them to work in an isolated environments that boost their productivity, allow them to uh, more efficiently debug and analyze their smart contracts. So those would be mostly the users that we uh, cater developers.
2: Got it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we had Riyadh uh, Wabi from Hubis last week, and he was talking about just how it opens up number one, the business of staking and I guess now we're staking is just becoming theoretically more institutional, even though you know a lot of this Margo, I think a lot of you talk about the yield a lot of this is like airdrop farming too right yeah,
0: I think a lot of it is still very you know we talk about institutional. I think this is very degen <laughs> for the moment you know we're not seeing like a it's JP possible, Morgan or yeah. Blackrock you know we're talking about eigenlager, maybe eigenda is something that you know the data availability yeah. thing is something that will appeal to some more of the masses, but this is still very, like, crypto-native at this point. I mean, Eigenlayer hasn't gone live with its mainnet. So there's a lot locked into this and a lot of hype for something that isn't fully live at this moment, right? So On the
2: other hand, like, a lot of these AVSs are, quote, unquote, theoretically legit projects, right? It's not a bad concept. You know, it's just, like, you're a shopping mall. You know, you need some security employ your own security or may hire a company to provide security, right? Like that's the concept here, but the concept is not terrible. But yeah, it's, it seems like it's just not totally
0: clear how it's going to play out. Uh, yeah. I love the analogy that Neboisha made about the 2008 market, that this is either completely going to collapse or this is going to surprise <laughs> us. And, you know, I'm not one to predict anything or, or agree or disagree, but before we got on this call, Brad and I were saying that I wonder if this is going to overload the network, which is some of mm. the fears that Vitalik has voiced, that these, the validators are going to have you know too much of a, a load put on them. So this is something that we're going to be talking way more about, I think. And we're going to be following, I think, all the new projects that are coming out of what's being built on top of Eigenlayer. And I don't think we're done talking about restaking in this moment. This is to come, as they say. I mean, (laughs)
2: as as Eigenlayer's uh, TVL ticks up as we're speaking. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Is that five now? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But uh, all right, let's see. We had one more topic we were going to try to hit here before we go to the break. And this was a story that Jamie Crawley and I have been covering, just because it's been tons of fun, which is the... uh, The Taproot Wizards debut uh, sale of their, you know, Ordinal's Inscriptions project. Uh, Quantum Cats, you know, this is a project. They came out last year and basically, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on the Protocol podcast, but the two guys who run the project are basically known as like professional posters and they basically started this company to sell these ordinals and they raised $7.5 million for the project and it worked. They had last Monday, they came on and they had this minting and they had built their own website apparently. And it was a complete disaster. The website didn't work and everybody was posting all these screenshots in the discord about how they couldn't get their cats. And then they delayed it and they delayed it. They kept delaying it. They delayed it till Monday. And then they sold them out and they raised like $13 million. I don't know. What, y'all have any thoughts on this?
0: I don't have any particularly smart thoughts on this. This automatically just made me think of the Taylor Swift like, tickets. You know how like, the Ticketmaster like, wasn't working. Everyone wanted those tickets and then boom, it sold out. So I don't know. Maybe this is not a very smart comparison, but maybe this project is in its Taylor Swift era. I don't know. but. This is sort of what we've probably mentioned in previous podcasts that this is I think is highlighting that there's development happening on bitcoin you know from from my perspective, when you cover ethereum, you don't really think that much about like all the developments that are happening on bitcoin. Bitcoin is just sort of this digital standard of gold right and and untouched, but I'm always like keen to hear that you know there's mm-hmm. now nfts on bitcoin and there's all this craze right we're not seeing that at nft craze as much on ethereum but i don't know any other thoughts
2: ne- nebo Boisha. i mean you're mainly ethereum focused right but i mean do you have any thoughts on this uh i heard about ordinals
1: last week and uh unfortunately i haven't had the time to check check it out yeah uh, i love that there's some development going on in, on bitcoin network i think that it's going to tremendously allow some of the additional use cases rather than the the standard one for the Bitcoin network.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, that absolutely is the narrative these days, is um, Bitcoin L2 development. And mm-hmm. uh, if we're going to see, you know, a lot of activity, I mean, there are tons of projects. I mean, I, I'm, you know, doing the Protocol Village column, I get tons of submissions. We had a couple in the newsletter today of these kind of like, you know, projects on top of
0: Bitcoin, DeFi or whatever, you know. I wanted to ask Brad, you've been following this stuff more closely, but I'm wondering you've talked to a bunch of the developers or figures in this scene. You know, are they taking note of what's happening on Ethereum? Like is this sort of like a oh look, like there's been this this roadmap they've created, or there's all these layer twos, they're scaling the blockchain, they have NFTs. Like what like where are they getting I don't want to say inspiration because it's not, you know, it's more technical than artistic, but are they sort of paying attention to the development that's happening on Ethereum and wondering what they can do to improve Bitcoin? Like where does that intersection sort of fall?
2: Everything they're doing is basically just copying Ethereum. Okay. you You know, I mean, honestly, that's kind of what it is. They're just trying to, they're just stealing that playbook that Ethereum has developed People are figuring out, okay, we want to build on Bitcoin. And it's just, you know, the same stuff that's on Ethereum in a lot of cases. I don't know if I can do this, but to quote another podcast, quoting another person, I was just, uh, <laughs> oh, Peter McCormack's, uh, Bitcoin podcast, uh, what Bitcoin did. And he was saying, I didn't, if you're the original, but he had had Pete Rizzo, who's the former editor in chief mm-hmm. of Coinda. Yeah. And that he was saying, You know, his point was just that everything that, you know, happened off of Bitcoin would eventually come back to Bitcoin. So I don't know. There's obviously lots of Mm -hmm. narratives about that Mm -hmm. sort of inevitability. But, you know, that's kind of the Bitcoiner view. if that answers your question, Margo. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I'm wondering if Bitcoin devs would admit that they're just copying and pasting what's going on (laughs) on Ethereum. I don't know if they're so quickly to say that, but, you know, that would be interesting to get that on the record. So maybe we should get someone a Bitcoin dev on here. (laughs)
2: All right. You can try to
0: nail that down, Margo. Um, Um, You have the (laughs) contacts, not me, but I'll ask the question. I'm happy to.
2: (laughs) Okay. All right. We're going to take a break and when we come back, we're going to be hitting Neboisha. we're going to be hitting you with the hard questions.
0: Have a blockchain project idea and need funding to make it happen? Look no further. The Stellar Community Fund is here to help bring your project to life on the Stellar Network. This year alone, over $10 million in XLM awards have been allocated across more than 100 innovative projects. And your idea could be next. Approved project submissions can receive up to $100,000 in XLM per project. So head over to communityfund.stellar.org to get started.
2: Calling all developers. Score a Consensus 2024 developer pass for just $109, but act fast, only a limited number of these passes are available. You may have heard that Consensus ain't for devs, but here's why you're wrong. Consensus is the only place you can fully immerse yourself in a multi-chain environment and learn directly from 20-plus chains, including Arbitrum, Chainlink, Solana, and more. Enjoy three days of intensive learning with technical talks, 40-plus expert speakers, and 20-plus in-depth workshops, including dedicated half days for Ethereum and Bitcoin, and three full days of programming on our Protocol Village stage. Consensus 2024 is happening May 29th through 31st in Austin, Texas. Don't miss your chance to network at curated developer meetups, Find new career opportunities and explore hundreds of side events and hacker houses around town. Grab your $109 developer pass today, but remember, this exclusive offer is limited. Visit consensus.coindesk.com now to secure your developer pass before they're gone. Explore the epicenter of blockchain innovation at consensus 2024. All right, we are back with uh, Neboisha Irosovic from Tenderly. Neboisha, why don't you just tell us a little bit about Tenderly?
1: Yeah, sure. So Tenderly is a project that started uh, some five years ago. We were just a couple of friends that were going to blockchain hackathons, and we came to realization that it takes us much longer to develop things on the blockchain. So we came with the idea to build some of the development productivity tooling for us uh, at that point to help us win more hackathons. After some times, we realized that uh, these tools can be used not just by us, but it, that it makes sense uh, for everyone in the blockchain ecosystem to have it available in order to be more productive. And after a few years of development and um, trying to find some of the best use cases, trying to land the product market fit, we become something that we call is a full stack infrastructure provider that helps uh, developers be more productive, more efficient when they are building smart contracts, ensuring that they are secure, optimized. And uh, once they are in production, that they can seamlessly scale with the number of users and uh, when the adoption of these applications
2: come. And just to help orient people maybe a little bit I I was wondering if you could just you know tell us what is like the most common thing that you do for Mm -hmm. a client and just you know what do they come what do they need you for and then what do you do for them and and how long does it take and I don't know if you can tell us kind of like how much they pay for that but like how does that you know just sort of what's your most common thing that you're doing so we
1: usually cater to the some of the bigger teams in the space but not just bigger, uh, some of the developer enthusiasts. But when we take the case of uh, a, a theme in the Ethereum uh, ecosystem that is developing either on Ethereum mainnet or some other layer two network, uh, they usually uh, want to uh, ship uh, decentralized application to the network. And what they usually do is they spin off isolated environments where they test out their smart contracts where they integrate it with uh, their front ends, where they debug once they find some of the errors in the, in the smart contracts. Then further down the road, they usually uh, rely on our tooling to optimize smart contracts to save on gas because that ends up uh, saving dollars of their users. Then once they are done with the development, they usually uh, uh, start leveraging some of the infrastructure stuff that we have. So uh, a couple of things that they usually end up leveraging are the simulations. So everybody knows that once you send a transaction on the network, there's usually uh, uh, no way of canceling it. So in that sense, users can have a sneak preview of what's going to happen before uh, that transaction hits the blockchain, giving them more context of uh, what's to come if they execute it. And of course, for the access to the blockchain technology, they usually leverage our node as a service offering uh, sort of to help them leverage the tooling that we have in total.
2: Okay, that is really great, uh, Nebulisha. thank you. All right, well, so we're going to talk about the Denkun upgrade and kind of what that means. and Margo, there was a you know there was some news on that today. Do you want to just give a quick quick summary of what happened this morning?
0: Yeah, sure. so you know, the Denkun upgrade, which we've talked about a bunch on here, it had its final test today on the Haleshki, I should say, testnet. So we're gearing up towards mainnet, which is really exciting. I think you know they're going to decide tomorrow morning when to ink in a date, but by the time this airs, that'll have be decided. So check back on your Twitter and your devs to find out when it happens because you know it's, we won't know in this very moment. Next yeah. week's podcast. Yeah, well, there might be no other news <laughs> by next week's podcast, so <laughs> I can't guarantee that. But so this has been a long time coming. But I, I, I wonder, Nabuisha, maybe you can talk a little bit about the listeners, like what this means for Ethereum users, L2 users, once, den, like once ProtoDank sharding, which is you know part of that den- or maybe first explain like a brief explainer what ProtoDank sharding is and what that means for users on Ethereum and on L2 once that goes live.
1: Sure. So one of the improvements that uh, is going to come uh, with the Duncun is proto-dunk sharding or A4844. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. So it's going to include uh, another type of the transaction that's going to be possible once the upgrades is done. And that type of transaction is going to for much larger input and must must more cost efficient input. Comparing to what's been the case so far, Mm -hmm. and who's going to benefit from it the most are not going to be the end users of the application, but it's mostly going to be uh, layer two networks that need to submit all of the data to the Ethereum uh, Mm -hmm. in order to be in order to extract the 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 security of the uh, layer one network. In this case, uh, Ethereum mainnet. In the numbers wise, what's that going to allow is. 10 times cheaper uh, way of uh, putting large amounts of data on the Ethereum uh, Mm -hmm. layer one network. And consequentially, that's going to enable much cheaper transactional layer layer two network, which is something that uh, we've been all waiting for uh, since I would say 2017 once the gas prices uh, uh, spiked significantly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really, you know, I think that was a great way of sort of framing like step by step what that's going to happen, that like it's sort of an indirect, you know, consequence of this is that these transactions on layer twos are going to be cheaper as Mm -hmm. a result of that like inner mechanism. I wonder, you know, there's been a lot of emphasis by Vitalik, by the devs to, you know, push for layer twos for for all this building on top of Ethereum. And now it's going to be cheaper, suppose you know, to transact on layer twos. I think I've seen also a narrative change a little bit about trying to grab some of those users back to layer ones uh, or mm-hmm. back to the layer one to Ethereum, because there has this, been this push to go to the roll ups. I wonder after 4844, is there going to be a more intense competition in terms of like transacting on uh, or activity on a layer two, like a, you know, Polygon ZK EVM, like an Arbitrum, like an, an Optimism? I guess I'm just wondering, like, will there be some kind of loss in activity on Ethereum as, as a result of this cheaper mechanism mm-hmm. for the layer twos? Uh,
1: well, one thing there is that we are like uh, going away from the monolithic blockchain into the modular blockchain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've been all trying to solve this uh, scalability problem that I think is one of the main reasons why uh, blockchain is not uh, hitting the mass adoption. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, this is just one of the bottlenecks that we uh, have at this point uh, a solved that's been bugging us for I would say 6 7 years now mm-hmm. and once we solve that there are certainly going to be some other issues i would definitely say that there's most likely going to be a battle of which layer 2 is the most popular mm-hmm. uh, i would also i also think that there's some of the traffic that's going right now on the ethereum l1 is going to move to the roll-up-as-a-service networks that have been spun up. Uh, But yeah, I definitely think that one of the issues is going to be solving liquidity, uh, Mm. how all of these blockchains are going to communicate. So some way of solving the cross-chain communication. But yeah, uh, um, I think uh, overall, in two or three years, we're going to see most likely four to five predominant L two solutions, and then others will most likely be layer th- three or layer four, uh, etc. And
0: I just want to follow up real quick because you you brought up the L two battle, which I've I've been following very closely, and I and I love that story. But you know, on the put you on the spot, like who do you think is going to win that? I'm
1: not sure. I can say I, which technology is most likely going to win in the future, sure. okay. uh, and that's most likely going to be the zero knowledge uh, sure. rollups. Okay. Uh, so that's the easy question that I can answer. I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. well, Polygon, Matter Lab, Scroll, if you're listening. <laughs> <I> mean, yeah. <laughs> you watching. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, okay. That's really interesting, uh, both of you. All right. So, Neboisha, I'm curious. You know, I was reading a post from Near. You know, Nier is, is sort of pivoting to, you know, find its own strategy. And this post was about Near DA. And it had a table comparing Ethereum, currently Ethereum post proto-dank sharding, uh, which is kind of a long word, versus Celestia DA and versus Near DA. The point of the thing, I mean, was obviously that Near DA was, (laughs) they were saying it was going to be the cheapest and the fastest. I mean, the point being that Ethereum's finally coming out with this proto Dank sharding. And the question is, is it already obsolete? I, I mean, I'm wondering what you think about that.
1: So the proto-dunk sharding uh, is just the first step to a full dunk sharding. Yeah. Uh, so this is just <laughs> Ethereum being extremely risk-averse in taking very slow steps because they're aware that if a bug uh, in the specification or a bug uh, in some of the major clients w- would happen, that would uh, have uh, catastrophic consequences. So I would say that them taking things slow and just comparing the, the proto-dunk sharding costs, I would say that that's that just the first version. In the future, we are yet to see the full dunk sharding, which is hopefully going to decrease the costs by 100x. And I'm sure that the, the the folks working at the Ethereum Foundation or some other researchers are going to come up with an even better ideas in the future.
2: Okay, that's really interesting. I mean, I think that's a good point. Well, you know, I guess as we see this drop in the costs of, store, of data storage, right? Uh, that's what we're talking about. How much extra development does that spawn? Is that going to lead to an explosion in L2s or... That Even more so than we've already seen.
1: So I would say that initially after every protocol upgrade, there's going to be a time, usually 3 to 12 months, where there's going to come out some new infrastructure components, some new tooling is going to come out that is going to sparkle some of the, the ideas that devs in the Ethereum ecosystem have, uh, similar to Agen Layer, I would say. And we're yet to see what de- how devs are going to utilize all of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I would say that I'm not sure, but I'm really eager about this upgrade, especially as it finally solves one of the biggest pain points that's been going around in the Ethereum ecosystem and not just Ethereum, but the whole blockchain space.
0: I was thinking about what you were saying just earlier now about how Ethereum developers are extremely risk averse and they're they're very Mm -hmm. slow in the implementation of making this cheaper in terms of making this more scalable, in terms of, you know, sort of solving these problems that are supposedly going to bring on more people, but I'm wondering, are they going too slow? You know, like it's great, it's great that they're, that they understand that there's this gigantic network been built on top of it and that there's no downtime. They cannot have downtime is like their mantra, right? You know, blockchain goes through these waves and every time, you know, I feel like we're on a wave back up after this bear market, if we want to say that we're coming out of a bear market. But, you know, with that comes more blockchain adoption, more users, more higher transaction fees probably, right? So we're finally hitting proto-dank sharding, but dank sharding and then full sharding is like, I don't want to say decades away, but it feels like light years away in blockchain years, right? So on the one hand, it is risk averse, but on the other hand, with anticipating that blockchain is only going to get more and more usable by people, is it too slow?
1: so i would say for the layer 1 most likely no and what we can expect is that layer 2s are going to uh, develop much faster in the future mm-hmm. so what i suspect is that we're going to have uh, arbitrum optimism zk sync uh, polygon zk vm that are going to leverage some of the uh, uh, new technology that they think should be used by the developers mm-hmm. uh, so what i'm thinking and there is that in the future we're most likely going to see a much more layer two solution that are experimenting, that they're trying something new, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a great way of kind of balancing the the risk averse that the Ethereum layer one is taking. It's
0: mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I think uh, we should probably wrap it up there. Thank you for the fascinating conversation uh neboisha. and uh, margo thanks for the for the really interesting questions thanks, thanks to michelle. michelle our producer keeping us on track exactly as always <laughs> big shout out to to neboisha Rostovich, uh from tenderly joining us from Serbia. and that is a wrap for this week's the protocol podcast thank you for listening If you have any questions about any stories or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line The Protocol. You can listen to us weekly on Coindesk Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Protocol, on coindesk.com. Thank you and see you next week.